The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. One of the things we're going to see in the text this morning is Peter is saying to us, you're worshiping a Savior that you've not yet seen with your own two eyes. So when we do a, we, we use drama at a very limited capacity here. And when we do it, we want to do it just to try to give you a visual. Okay, so, um, and, and, and I want you to think about as we've looked at Peter over these last couple of days, what was the big thing that happened in Peter's life that took him from that roller coaster ride of inconsistency where he would be willing to deny Jesus to then being willing to preach the gospel, be persecuted, go to prison, and ultimately be crucified upside down, according to church tradition. Did you know that? He, he's like, I don't want to be crucified the way Jesus was. I'm not worthy. So they, they hung him on a cross upside down. And that's how he died. What was the, the change? And we saw this in, in an earlier session. The change was he was an eyewitness to the crucifixion of Jesus. Maybe not the whole thing because we know that he abandoned Jesus at some point. But then he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. So we need to visualize certain things. I'm a, most of you are probably visual processors. They say some people process in words and some people process in pictures. I process in pictures. Like if I'm reading the Bible... I'm, I'm visualizing it. How many of you are like that? You, when you read a book or story, how many of you process more in words? Okay, so it's typically they say it's about 50-50. Um, so this morning, uh, it looks like it's probably about 50-50 from those of you that raised your hands. Visualization can be helpful in making the words that we're seeing become uh, more visual in our minds. And so that's why we do that. I want you to understand what Peter understood, which is, the reality of the crucifixion, which is necessary to understand the reality of the resurrection, okay? So we're going to dive into 1 Peter chapter 1, picking up where we left off yesterday morning. Last night we jumped ahead a little bit um, and looked at um, the latter part of the chapter. Uh, tomorrow morning we'll, we'll be continuing in our study of, of Peter's letter, but this morning we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday morning which is at verse 6. So we got through verse 5, and what we saw yesterday that was hopefully encouraging to you is that God, God loves us, and through Christ we have hope. That hope is living. It's a real hope. It's, it, it's based on and rests in the resurrection of Jesus. And a big part of that hope is the, the fact that God has given us an inheritance, and he loves us, and he's going to guard and protect and keep us in that relationship. He has the power to do that even when we fail him or let him down. He's going to continue to love us and protect what he's given to us. Now, we're going to pick up in verse 6 and continue down into this passage. Now, one thought before we dive into this. I wonder if you've ever thought about how cool it would be to time travel. Have you ever thought about this? A lot of movies have been written or, um, you know, screenplays and movies have been done on time travel. And um, the most famous ones in my generation were the Back to the Future movies. Uh, those ones were awesome. Um, but time travel is a crazy thing to think about. And I, like, I have all these different times in history I would like to go to. Some of them are, like, monumental, you know, like I'd like to go see, uh, like, like um, Alexander the Great, for instance. I'd like to see what that cat was all about, you know. Or, like, I'd like to go be with my granddad when he was a kid because he lived through the Depression and just to see some of that. I'd like to be there the day that somebody invented donuts. <laughs> that would be awesome. That dude had to be, like, 
oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what, what have I done? You know, like, because I love donuts. If I'm on the road and I see a donut shop, especially like a local mom and pops, I'm, I'm there, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm down with donuts. And so different times in history, be cool to travel to. Um, not, I'm not so interested in traveling to the future. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. Uh, so I'd rather just go to the past, see some cool things. There is, there's, there's a point in our text this morning where there's this picture of like time travel where Peter's going to tell us, man, for thousands of years, people were thinking about Jesus coming and now he's come and now we're looking back at what happened in the past. And so it's kind of like where the, where the gospel and the work of Jesus fits in on the, on the, on like the stage of world history. It's at the center point. And for some people, they lived before it. And for those of us who are here and now we've lived after it. And so it's important to kind of draw our attention back to that moment in history. So We'll start in verse 6. Uh, it says this, In this you rejoice, uh, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Okay, so he says, um, he says, in this you rejoice, talking about what we talked about yesterday morning. Because God loves you, he's given you an inheritance, he's guarding, he's protecting, he's keeping you. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can rejoice, we can be joyful, we can be excited. But now he's going to say something that's kind of hard as believers to wrap our brains around. He says, even if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. It's like he's saying, hey, sometimes life is hard. Sometimes following Jesus is hard, and it's going to get harder at times. This is important for us as Christians. I remember when I was, uh, I was, I don't remember, I was a teenager, and I got my nose broken. And it was so painful, man. It was like, I got a big old nose, man. Like, my nose is just big. Like, it just gets in the way sometimes. And I got that thing smashed. And I remember, and my dad was old school, like, rough and tough. My dad was one of the roughest people to this day that I've ever been around. Like, we were telling stories last night. I remember my sister was eight years old, and we were playing on one of those blobs at a lake. Y'all know what the blob is, where you jump on the one end, and, and it's like a big air mattress thing, and it shoots you up in there. And my sister was eight years old. My dad weighed about 265, and he blobbed her. They're like, oh, you want to be within about 40 pounds difference? And my dad snuck up there. My sister's sitting out there on the end of that thing, and my dad runs and jumps off and launches her so high when she comes she did like three somersaults and busted her eardrum to this day she gets so mad about it and what was so disturbing is my dad's laughing at, through the whole thing he was a twisted demented human and so <laughs> so I remember I broke my nose and he goes okay I'm not gonna lie to you he's, he's going okay by the way the nose is crooked he's going to set it back himself Okay, he's, because he said, he's like, I've been to the hospital, all they do is just straighten it out. And then remember, he's like, I'm going to, and, I, and I'm, I was a kid, I don't know, I was probably 14, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember just thinking, huh? And he's like, I'm not going to lie, this is going to hurt really bad. <laughs> and I remember thinking, hmm, tell me something I don't already know, you know, and, and he's, he's, whoa, he's stuck popsicle sticks in my nose and and was like wiggling and straightening that thing and I remember I was just and it only lasted about five seconds and I was I was about to pass out and I can remember uh afterwards he would always say this one thing some of y'all maybe have heard this he would say don't worry it'll feel better when it quits hurting <laughs> and I'm like tell me something else I don't know right so but there was there but I as I got older I appreciated 
the fact, I remember as a, I, there was this parenting moment. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember which of my kids it was. But I remember there was a time where one of my kids was going to have to have something done. I think maybe a shot. I think maybe it was a shot. And I remember the kid looking at me and saying, is it going to hurt? And I thought, it's critical in this moment that I be truthful. Because if I say, no, it's not going to hurt. Just, it'll be over quick. Don't worry about it. Then when it hurts, that's like a harsher reality. You know what I'm saying? So what I said was, no, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to be a sharp pain. It's going to hurt. But when we're done, you're going to be in a better place. Like this is going to be good for you. You know, so like that reality, what Peter's saying to us is, listen, the Christian life is worth anything you could ever imagine going through and at times as a believer listen to me young people this is for us at times as christians we're going to go through trials and tribulations and suffering and hardship it's going to happen you're going to be persecuted you're going to be ridiculed you're going to be mocked sometimes your faith in jesus is going to cost you what you never even imagined you would have to pay it's going to be hard it's going to be difficult. There's going to be hard times that you have to endure. There's going to be suffering in the life of the Christian. Now, what we can know is it's not that shouldn't bring us to despair. That should we be reminded of what we saw in the first part of the passage yesterday. We have a living hope. So our hope is in Jesus. And so our hope is powerful that even when you go through hard times, God's going to go through it with you. Jesus is going to be with you. He told us he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's going to be with us. And so he's going to go through that with us. So what's he say in verse 6 about this idea of suffering? He gives us a couple of thoughts. He says, rejoice no matter what because Jesus is with me. And he says, in this, you see that in quotes, he says, in this you rejoice. In what? It seems like the words are referencing what we talked about in the previous verses we rejoice knowing that we have a sure salvation and a future inheritance. So no matter how hard your life gets, you can know it's temporary, that hardship. It's temporary, that temptation. It's temporary, that tribulation. Though suffering is painful, we can rejoice knowing that it will not last forever. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to resort in praise and glory and honor at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says it's tested so that the tested genuineness of your faith, he says your faith, it is tested. And the idea is that suffering, hardship, tribulation tests your faith and makes it stronger. It's kind of like He's saying the testing or the hardship or the difficult things you go through will make you stronger. You've probably experienced this in your life at some capacity. I'll tell you what, if you're an athlete, you've experienced it when you have to run and run and run and run so that you're in better condition when the game comes or the race comes or something like that. It's the idea that, that testing makes us stronger. It makes us better. Now, I want to give you two aspects of the picture that he's painting. He says it's more precious than gold. And I, I've done research on this, and probably you may have heard this talked about in a sermon before, but the idea of gold being refined and processed is a pretty interesting thing. Uh, and, and so Peter uses this example of the purification of gold. But when they refine gold, like they take gold in its crude form, it doesn't look like um, a gold chain or, or, or actual jewelry it looks like a rock with some color in it you know it's kind of it's kind of crude 
when they refine it, the, the way they refine the gold is they heat it up. You know how hot they heat it up to? 2,000 degrees. Almost like, uh, like close to 10 times the boiling point of water. They heat gold up to refine it. But guess what? The gold doesn't get worse. It gets better. It gets, and it's not that it gets better. It brings out the best in the gold as you refine it. I even said that uh, like in the olden days, there were guys that made their whole living like that's what their job was. They were gold refiners, and it was a highly hazardous job because of the intense heat. Guys would oftentimes end up losing their lives just through the gold refining process. It's so hot. So he's painting this picture in the Christian life. You're going to at times go through this refining process, but it's, it's to bring out what is beautiful and powerful and rich and wonderful in who you are as a Christ follower. It's a really good picture. So because of that, we don't have to fret or worry when we go through testing or difficult um, situations. The second aspect of the picture is a little more common sense to most of us. And it's the idea that you don't know how good something is until it has been tested. You don't know how good something is until it's been tested. You, like like uh, there's this dude. I was watching him on the playground playing basketball. This was here a couple years ago in our little town. And there's a, there's a little park in town. He's out there playing. And this kid's out there playing basketball. And he's hooping up with a bunch of kids that are clearly younger than him. So he's just dominating. It reminded me of the... Uh, it reminded me of the dodgeball scene in Billy Madison, for those of you that are 90s movie uh, aficionados, okay? So, like, he's dominating these kids. This kid's, like, shaking, baking, putting it through his legs, shooting layups. Like, he's just dominating. And I'm watching, and I'm like, and he's, like, talking trash and strutting around. And I'm thinking, this kid's, like, maybe 14, and he's playing against nine-year-olds. Like, this is a joke, okay? And then some legit ballers showed up, and then my man was done. They were like swatting his shot, stealing the ball from him, checking him up, knocking him down. Like once he started to be tested in the fires of true competition, he failed. Okay. So testing is good. Difficult struggles are good. Listen to me, y'all. Going through hardship in your life is a good thing in the hands of the Lord. We've, like, we, live in a, we live in a society that's so obsessed with comfort. Like, we, we love to be comfortable. Like, we do everything we can to make life easier, to make life, like, like so much easier. I, I told on my podcast, uh, I have a podcast called No Sanity Required. That's a shameless plug. You should listen to it. Um, I, I, was, I told a story on a podcast recently. I go into a Chick-fil-A. I'm going in to, to get my order. I placed the order for my family. I walk in. There's a dude in front of me, a lady behind him. The dude in front of me is irate. Dude's like probably 70 years old. He's irate. He's, he's just going off on these two teenage girls because they gave him the wrong size of milkshake. And I thought, man, poor guy. <clears throat> no one should have to endure that kind of hardship. To stand there in Chick-fil-A and realize you're only getting 20 two ounces of chocolate chip peppermint goodness rather than 26 ounces. Put my arm around him. I said, man, it's okay, brother. These two shall pass. <laughs> I'm looking, I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, all you got to do, like, okay, fine. If you want to do the thing where you get the right size, that's fine, but don't be a jerk. I'm sorry, sweetie. Uh, I got the wrong size milkshake. You see, you see, I, I want 26 ounces. 
and you gave me 22. Could we, could we trade that? Could you just give me a cup with four more ounces? Like, there's a nice way to go about Guy's being a jerk. He's just going off. He's like, this is crazy. I can't believe, I don't even know why I come in here. They don't know why you come in here either, but they wish you wouldn't. You know, he's complaining. Then the lady behind him, who's clearly had a few milkshakes herself, and she's wearing like really nice clothes and jewelry. She comes up to the thing, and she's going off on the same girls because they missed one of her french fries. Like she had this four bags of food. She's feeding an army, and they missed one order of french fries. She's going off. And I thought, what, like, what if we, what in the world? What in the world? <laughs> and I couldn't resist because I got a heart for teenagers. You know, like this is my life. I've been three decades doing student ministry. The teenagers that were in student ministry when I first started student ministry are now like in their 40s, you know. And I'm, so I love students and I'm, and I'm watching these two girls and I'm like, these girls are working. I'm watching these kids. Are, y'all, some of y'all work at Chick-fil-A. They work their tails off. I and mean, they go, 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 go. They're working, working, working. It's a Christmas thing and it's busy and they're working, working, working. And finally, I just spoke up and I said, hey, ladies. I'm standing behind cheetah skin print shirt lady and milkshake boy. Like I'm standing behind them and I'm like, hey, hey, ladies, y'all are crushing it. You're just having to deal with a couple of entitled humans that think you owe them something. Y'all don't worry about it. When I get up there, I'm going to eat whatever y'all get in the bag and I'm going to thank you for it. It was real awkward. It was real <laughs> awkward. A milkshake guy, he was standing there, and his little old lady wife was standing beside him, and she went, he's talking about you. It was awesome. You can tell she's so sick of being around that dude, man. She's so embarrassed. And she's like, he's talking about you. And he grunted, and they, they left. But I'm like, we've come to this place in our society where we, we have a sense of entitlement. We think we deserve things. We'll fight for our, yeah, listen, let me tell you something. I'm going to stomp on some toes for just a second. We live in a society where Christians will rant about the Second Amendment. They'll rant about their rights. They'll rant about abortion. And nobody will bring a broken family into their home and give them a place to live. How upside down is that? Like, we're all about our rights when Jesus was all about laying down his life. And Peter got that picture. And he's like, man, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. And at times, everything might be stripped away from you. Are you willing to do it? And here's the great hope. You should be because it's worth it. Because it's eternal. Because in the end, it's worth anything it will ever cost you. We never know how real our faith is until it's tested. I watched the... Uh, I watched the uh, Tesla was rolling out, Elon Musk, they're rolling out a pickup truck. Have you seen this? They're rolling a pickup truck. And they're doing a, um, he's showing you how tough the truck is. And so they've got it in this, up on stage, this Tesla pickup truck, space age looking truck. Have y'all seen it? Crazy looking truck. I'm like, I'd drive that. Heck yeah, I'd, 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 I'd roll around, I'd rock that. So it's sitting up on the stage and there, all these executives are in there. And he gets some cat to come up and throw a brick at the window. Have y'all seen this? They're like, we want to show you how strong the glass is. And the dude's like, I don't know if he thought the guy was going to like, but the dude did what any of us would have done. He's like, oh, I'm throwing his brick through that window. <laughs> I'm, I think my man threw his shoulder out. He, threw, he was like, well, he threw that brick, pop, busted, shattered the window. Dude was like, uh, okay. So um, let's try the back window. You threw the brick too hard. <laughs> 
Dude smashes the back window too. Like, yeah, you know what? The glass in the Tesla truck did not pass the torture test. You know what I'm saying? Like, what it proved is that that glass cannot withstand that, so it's not everything it's cracked up to be. Sometimes testing is good because it shows us where we're weak and where we need to be strengthened. So testing refines us like gold. Suffering makes us stronger. As Christians, we suffer And the harder we go through trials and the tougher the suffering might be, the stronger we get. That's just reality. The stronger you get. So that's what Peter's explaining to us. He's helping us understand that. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Oh, that's kind of a cool way to say all that. He's like, you're going to get joy. It's almost like indescribable, inexpressible. The believers Peter was writing to were just like us in the sense they had never actually seen Jesus with their own eyes. But they had a strong faith in exactly what they had not seen. See, he says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. They had a faith in something they had not seen. And he's reminding them in verse 8, he's saying, um, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. So like, even though you don't see Jesus, you believe in him and it brings you great joy. I got a friend, he works, he's actually one of, one of the executive partners here at Snowbird. His name's Hank. And Hank was, before Hank was at Snowbird, he had a pretty, he's had a crazy cool life, like um, really cool life. Hank was, he started off, his dad is named Hank Parker, and he's like the most famous bat, tournament bass fisherman in history. So like on those fishing shows on TV, he's like, he was like the man in the 80s and 90s. And so Hank grew up like that, and then he got into racing. His best friend growing up was Dale Earnhardt Jr. Then he raced NASCAR, and he raced trucks, and he was like in the Daytona 500, had a cool racing career. Then he got out of that, and I was, so I had followed all of that. Then he got out of that and he got into uh, TV production and they made these hunting shows and TV programming and stuff like that. And so I'd followed this dude, had seen him on TV, had seen his dad, watched his family and didn't know that he was following Snowbird. And he was listening to our podcast and listened to our sermons and came to our men's conference. And when we finally met, it was like this really cool experience to meet someone that, that I had followed for years. You see what I'm saying? Like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I'm face-to-face with this guy. And, and, we, and we began to develop a friendship at a very personal level. It's like Peter's saying, you guys have heard about Jesus. You read the Bible. You've, heard, you've been to church. Kind of like Reagan's part, uh, the middle girl in the skit. Like, yeah, I read my Bible. I've been to church. I go to youth group. Like, I get all of that. But, like, there's this moment. There are going to be these times in our lives where, where we realize I'm going to see Jesus face-to-face. I want you to think about that moment. Peter's saying, you haven't seen him yet. And he's going to go on in the last couple of verses here and say, but you're going to. And I want us to think about the reality. I think about this all the time. But there's going to be a moment where I'm going to stand face to face with Jesus. And I have one goal in this life. And it's to hear him say two words. Well done. You did good. You're my boy. You got it done. Come on in. Like, it's going to be awesome. We'll see him face to face. Haven't seen him yet. Read about him. 
studied about him, felt him move in my heart, experienced worship at an incredible level, seen revelations of his glory through creation and through the outpouring of his spirit. But for the believer, our great future hope is this reality. One day I'm going to stand before Jesus and face him. It's incredible. It's wonderful. It's the greatest thing you could ever imagine. So even in difficult times, which can and often include persecution, suffering, tribulation, we can always rejoice knowing that Jesus has provided salvation for us, and one day we will see him and behold him. And he says in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. He's like, the result of our faith is salvation. We trust and believe in Jesus, and the ultimate result of that is that we're going to be saved. So he says, man, suffering's a reality. This is going to hurt at times. But you can live with the incredible peace and joy of knowing what your future and eternity holds in store for you. In the last three verses, beginning in verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So he's going to give us two thoughts here. One is, as Christians living on this side of the cross, we are more privileged than two groups of beings. We're more privileged than the prophets of old, and we're more privileged than angels. Angels are very mysterious. It's, it's, it, angels are one of those things that the, there's a lot of mystery surrounding, but let's, let's consider what he's saying in this idea of privilege. There's a lot of talk of privilege in our society today, but we're, we're talking about the privilege of the believer. We're talking about what God has revealed to us through his word and through the fulfillment of his word. When he says we're more privileged than the prophets, keep in mind prophets in the Old Testament, which is the time in history before Jesus came into the earth. They were speaking and preaching and writing under the direction and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says. So in the olden days before Jesus came into the world, these men called prophets and there were, there were women who were prophetesses. These men and women would proclaim and point people to a future coming of a Savior. So no one had seen Jesus. No one knew who he was going to be. They just knew that God had made a promise. The same way, it's the same way we are promised that Jesus is going to one day return right? We're promised that one day he's going to come back and put everything right. He's going to restore creation. Heaven and earth will be put to, to, to what God intends it to be. We look forward to that. We're 2,000 years into this part of history. But the prophets wrote for thousands of years before Jesus came, and he's like, they were right. And one day, here's what's going to happen. Isaiah, one day there's going to be a suffering servant. Jeremiah, one day there's going to be one who seals us in a new covenant. Daniel, one day your, your suffering will be completed and you will endure to see the Messiah. Like they, they all had different messages. And they were writing, but they never actually got to see Jesus. They never got to see him or know exactly how it was going to be fulfilled. We're more privileged than them because we don't see Jesus, but we know how the story ended. And we know how the next chapter of it is going to end. So there's privilege. As believers, we have this incredible privilege of knowing Jesus. They hoped that the things of which they wrote would be fulfilled in their days. For the prophet, the central work of the Holy Spirit was the gospel, but they were looking forward 
to that gospel. The work of the death and resurrection of Jesus, they were looking forward to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Peter is saying that the work of the Old Testament prophet was not ultimately directed to themselves or their own generation, but to the readers of Peter's letters. In other words, getting deep, stay with me right here, deep biblical principle truth right here that's really helpful for us. In other words, Thomas Schreiner explains, he's a, he's a Bible writer, commentator, the Old Testament prophecies not only apply to Peter's readers, but were intended for them. In other words, here's what he's saying. The Old Testament prophets wrote about the one day coming of Jesus. So for their people, that was beneficial because they were saying, hey, don't lose heart. Be hopeful. One day, the Messiah is going to come and save us from our sin. But what they were writing to those people is beneficial for us because we can look back, read what they wrote, see how it was fulfilled in Christ, and be confident that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Isn't that awesome? Like when you go back and you study what Daniel wrote about, Daniel was a prophet five, six centuries, five centuries before the time of Jesus. Daniel was a prophet. Daniel wrote about things that would happen in the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, and at the time of the coming of Jesus, and all of it came to pass and was fulfilled. We, as New Testament believers, can look back at what Jesus did and be confident, but also look back before Jesus did it and see that God was predicting those things through people that lived before Jesus lived. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Go back to our time travel illustration. Imagine if you could travel back in time and sit and listen to Isaiah preach a sermon about the coming Messiah. And you're sitting there going, oh, if you guys only knew what I knew, it's going to happen going to happen we have this incredible privilege of knowing how that part of the story ended the main point here in these last three verses is that we are so blessed to live in the time when the predictions of the prophets have come to pass jesus said blessed are your eyes because they do because they do see and your ears because they do hear for truly i tell you many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see but didn't see them They longed to hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. Y'all, we're very privileged because, as, as, as one man says, the point is this. The prophets weren't just writing down their best guesses or astrological calculations regarding the timing of the Messiah's arrival or the nature of his life and work. Under the inspiration of the Spirit of Christ, the prophets' words were authoritative and true. Go back to our time machine illustration. Imagine going back in time in your own life But knowing what you know now, and it's this, Jesus is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. Jesus is faithful. The word of God is faithful and true. This guy Sanchez is saying, these guys weren't writing about a coming Messiah just doing guesswork. The Holy Spirit was stirring in them the truth and telling them what was going to happen. And it was being put to paper and people were reading it and by faith anticipating it. And on the other side of that, we get to look back and realize it. So then we can even more so trust that what Peter is writing is true for us. And lastly, he says, we're also more privileged, privileged than angels. Angels who dwell in the presence of the Lord. And faithfulness, and as his messengers and warriors are so intrigued by the gospel, to them it is a great mystery that we are the recipients of something that even the angels long to understand. In other words, these angels who have been faithful to the Lord for all of history don't fully grasp God's love for us and the fulfillment of the gospel. 
So the beauty and depth and mystery of the gospel is something that even angels who have much greater knowledge than us long to see, long to understand. Angels do not know what it's like to experience the relief, the joy, the liberation, and the wonder of being saved as a sinner. But you and I do. What, a, what an amazing place to begin our lives with Christ, to recognize by the power of the gospel. I once was dead in sin. I once was lost in sin. I once was blind, but now I see. Angels never experienced that. He's like, man, you guys, you look back at the prophets and you think, what would it have been like to be as a preacher, man, and, and, and there's a lot of preachers here, I imagine, what was it like to preach? I would have wanted to be like that cat Elijah, man. That dude was like, they said that man was like, he was a country boy. He was a mountain man. He was like a savage, he's like preaching. They had all these prophets from this, this pagan religion. And he's like, let's have a showdown. And they have this like him against like all these dudes. And he wins. Like it's like a preaching contest and God responds to him. And then those dudes are all like, uh, and then and then Elijah's like, all right, we're going to kill them. They line them up, start chopping their heads off. It's a crazy story. I'm like, that would have been a crazy life. We're more privileged than the prophets who saw God move in powerful ways because we've seen the effects of the resurrection of Jesus. We're more privileged than the angels because we know the effects of repentance and salvation. And all of these things should guide us to be filled with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. And in conclusion, he tells us in verse 13, three commands I want to give you to go away and think about today. He says, therefore, so based on all of this that we've studied these last three sessions, preparing your minds for action. Here's the first command for us this morning to respond to. Prepare your mind for action. Prepare to win the daily battle in your thoughts. Prepare by studying the word and spending time with Jesus. The second thing he says, prepare your mind for action and be sober-minded. Think clearly. And then he says in verse 14, as obedient children, be obedient. Because we've been given an incredible gift according to the mercy of the Lord, we should rejoice no matter what happens in this life. We know that everything in this life is preparing us for a greater future reality. The great mystery of the gospel has been revealed to those of us who have received Christ. God has chosen to save us. And for that, we should rejoice and live lives of faithful worship, obedience, and submission to Jesus. Let's live that way. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.